over the age of 26. Does that make that song make you think of the movie Beethoven with the dog for some reason? It does. I don't know why, but man, it just. I, does any of you know what movie I'm talking about? Well, never mind. Apparently, Beethoven has stood the test of time. Anyway, if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 9. Remember what they say. You should have a Bible with pages in this very establishment. You have a Bible with pages. They say when you get to heaven, you get a recliner that has a charger port in it. I'm not 100% sure if that's true, but I've heard or read that somewhere. If you forgot your Bible tonight, have no fears. It will be on the screen. If you can't read the screen, maybe you can read your phone that's in front of your face that has the Bible app. If you can do none of those, and you will let me know, hey, Brandon, I need a Bible. I will have one waiting here next week, and if you want your name on it, I can do that too. If you want a nickname on it, I can do that too. You don't even have to tell me your nickname. I will make one up for you, and you will always have this Bible. It will be awesome. So if you need a Bible, you let me know. I will have you one here next week. It is very important that you have a Bible. Um, it is not mandatory, but I would love for you to be able to bring your Bible that you've been reading all week into this place together so that we can open it up. I don't... Oh, thank you, Todd. Blessings. I don't know if you know this or not, but having a Bible and reading it is one of the most powerful things you can ever do in your life. You guys are some of the rudest people I have ever met. You should be at Matthew chapter 9 by now. Anyway, we're doing like a two-week sub-series in Matthew, and it's called Called Out to be Sent Out. God, uh, we're going to talk about how God calls us out of something to send us out into something else. Um, and I'm going to tell you a story about my daughter. I'm going to tell one story. She is, called, she is affectionately known as Bear. Um, if you've ever met her, you would know why. She is quite destructive, very violent. And she has an extreme obsession. She likes Reese's. She likes a couple of people. But she really, really loves a ball. If you've ever heard her, she'll say, ball, ball. Or just, ball, 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 ball. If she gets real excited and she sees one, she'll go, ball, 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 ball. And you, oh my gosh, life gets rough if you don't go get that for her. Like, I've almost died at a volleyball game one time because there's ball, 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 ball. I'm like, baby, I can't go get that off the court. If I do, we are never getting to come back, ever, ever. But usually there's some really nice volleyball girl that will bring up the, a ball up to the stands and she'll be like, oh, ball, ball. Anyway, like, I'm not making this up. This is 100% accurate, 90% of it. Um, in the morning, when she wakes up, a lot of times she sleeps in her crib, but sometimes she'll sneak into our bed in the middle of the night. By sneak, her mother goes and gets her and puts her in there. I don't like that. It scares me because I think, like, I'm going to roll over on her, but I found out that's not the case. She's stronger than me somehow, and she, like, moves me off of the bed to get onto my pillow. But this is how she wakes up. She either, I don't know why she doesn't do this to her mother. It's mostly to me. She wakes up. These are her actions. She's either trying to put her noonie, which is her pacifier, in my mouth, or she's slapping me on the face, or she's sitting on my chest, jumping up and down, making this statement, bubble at, bubble at, bubble at, which means, where in the world did you put my ball ball? In our house, we had to move, I kid you not, we had to move to another house because our mobile home could not hold all of her toys, and by toys, I mean balls. 
There's 48,000 balls spread across our house. We don't even eat sometimes because we can't afford to because we're buying balls, okay? You may say that's bad parenting choices. I'm saying it's called survival in our household. Like, she has this obsession. One time, I wasn't there. I was here, which happens a lot. Um, Mo and Bear Bear were in Walmart. There's some places you need to stay away from at Walmart. I blame this on Mo. She goes by aisle where there apparently were some very enticing toys in a circular shape. We refer to them as balls. Ball balls. There was one. It's about this big. It's about the blue for, I don't know what blue it is for you guys. It's purple? Okay, never mind. I don't even know what color it is. It's purple and it's got these little sh- like other colored patches on it. I was not there, but Mo called me, and I, it sounded like Bear Bear was either going to get Mo arrested for kidnapping, or she was going to shatter glass for how loud she was yelling. I was like, baby, I don't know if we need to give her this ball, because if she just goes nuts, she thinks she's always going to get what she wants. However, I could not afford to replace all of the windows in Mo's car, so I was like, just go get the ball. But before that happened, somebody else walked up in the parking lot who happens to be related to us and was like, what is going on? And Bear looked at her and went, ball, ball. (laughs) Because her voice can get deeper than mine, which is pretty scary. Um, So she took Bear Bear and went inside and bought this monstrous ball that would barely fit in the back of Mo's car. Mo sent me a picture, and she's got the ball smiling. Um, but like once she, once she, she just loves those things. Like she went to the doctor the other day and I was like, should she be this obsessed? And the doctor was like, it is great for her to have a hobby. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> They're everywhere. I'll never get to buy another guitar again. And, uh, but she, once she gets fixated on this thing, there's nothing you can do. She's not going to stop talking about it. She's not going to stop trying to physically hurt you until she can either get in there to the ball ball or make you go get it and bring it to her. Like she, Nothing is going to get in her way. And I'm, we're going to talk about a story of Jesus kind of has a similar obsession, not with bouncing balls or basketballs or anything like that, but he also has an obsession with something that nothing is going to stand in his way of getting to it. By this time, after that long story, you should have found your way to Matthew chapter 9. If not, you're either lazy or you're just going to read it off of the screen. I'm going to read it for you. It is going to be phenomenal. I hope it blesses your heart as much as it blessed mine. Just a couple of verses. This is what it says. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, remember, there where he was, he just healed um, a bunch of people. He actually just healed, uh, remember last week we talked about doing whatever it takes. The friends carried their other friend and kept him from falling off the stretcher and getting hurt worse. And they both, they, they, the roof was not on fire, but they did bust a hole in the roof, lowered the dude down gently, or did they not? Who knows? Probably gently. The dude gets healed, he gets up, and he walks out of the house. They celebrate and they worship. That is what just happened when it says, as Jesus passed from there. That's where there was. And then it says, he saw a man. This is huge. If you want to highlight, you can highlight, he saw a man. Called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. It seems so simple, but it is so beautiful. We're going to get to that. You can also highlight, Follow me. He rose and followed him. Fairly important. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, 
many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. This sounds like quite a party. Like there's tax collectors and, and sinners and they're reclining at a table. They're not even sitting up straight and Jesus is reclining right there with them. It sounds like a great... I don't like to recline when I eat though. It kind of make I think I get heartburn more. But that was... had nothing to do with what we're talking about. Picking up in verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, if you want to highlight to his disciples, because a lot of, this is a problem, we'll get to it in a minute. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Seems like a fair question. But when he heard it, this is the he is Jesus, he said to those, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And you can highlight with exclamation points here. Probably multicolor highlights. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you love us. God, how you're constantly good to us, constantly drawing us to you. God, we know that you put this group of people together for a reason. God, it is not by chance or by accident. You have us here together to, ha- to hear this word. God, I pray that you will, you will break hearts, but God, put them back together in the way that you intend them to be. God, reveal sin that's in our life, God, and call us out of it. God, we've been praying that you would bring someone in who was lost, God, and that would, you would save them in this place, God. And we are, we are believing with expectation that tonight could be that night. God, let us be a part of the miracle of you bringing a dead heart to life, God, of someone being saved. Father, what you want to give, we receive, and we receive what you want to give, Jesus. We are completely dependent on you, and it's your name alone that we exalt in this place. So, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see you. God, ears to hear you, and hearts that are ready to believe. God, we love you, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, picking up back at the beginning. It says, and as Jesus passed from there, remember, he just healed, he just healed this dude. He actually, if you remember the past several weeks, he's been doing a whole lot of healing. Remember, there was Nubby the leper that his, his, his uh, hand had fallen off, possibly, and Jesus healed him. There was that other dude who was demon-possessed. Those two guys, remember, Jesus healed them. And remember, there was that other guy, we don't remember his name, but he was paralyzed, God healed him. And then there was Peter's mother-in-law. She had that fever. It must have been really high. He healed her too. And then there was the other dude that was paralyzed as well that had the friends. And he's healing them. He's been, just been a, a healing up a mess in here. Healing everybody. You'd think he would be getting tired. But he's doing this. So don't you think if you would have been there, you would have been following him around to see what would happen next? I would. Because they don't have Netflix at this point in time. Nothing else entertaining is happening. Okay. We cannot re-watch the same sitcom for the 14th time. So people are like, forget my day job. I'm just going to follow around Jesus and see what he's going to do next. So there, people, a crowd of people are still following through Jesus. They're in a very populated spot of town. But it says, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. See, when we read this, we don't really think anything important, but... In their society, Matthew is a very important guy because Matthew is a very hated guy. Because, see, ta- when, when, when we think tax collector, like we're probably like, oh, there, he's that guy that works at H&R Block. That's not necessarily the case. Like when people would look at Matthew, they would probably get nauseated. 
When people would look at Matthew, they probably wanted to go punch him in the face. When people were talking about Matthew, he probably wasn't around because they were talking about him behind his back because they hated him. But they probably also said some pretty negative things to his face. Because, see, the problem with tax collectors in the day, like, you know what a tax is, right? It's something that that the state or the county charges so that they can use it. Like for us, they'll use it to fix roads. Maybe eventually it's going to fix a bridge down the road. We're not going to talk about that. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Um, or to fix various other things. They use it in the school system. So um, Matthew is the dude who collects the taxes. The only problem in their day, this is what the tax collector does. Let's say the tax for, like, we're just going to put it in things we, could re- we can relate to. The tax for like a Snicker bar is $5, which would be insane. Matthew would charge like 15 and he would put 5 in the taxes jar and he'd put 10 in his pocket. You get what I'm saying? You would not like this guy. One, because you just paid like $17 for Snickers. But two, he kept 10 of your dollars and you can't do anything about it. Like You can't like take him to court. It's not going to work. So he's basically stealing money from everybody who lives there. You get what I'm saying? I do not like anybody who's going to steal any money from me because I've got to purchase more ball balls as it is. And if somebody was taking extra taxes off the top of the ball balls, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just have to start making them myself. But, like, this dude is hated. Like, he has... The only friends he has are the other tax collectors who are taking people's money because nobody wants to hang out with this dude. Like, if it weren't for the other tax collectors, he is having Thanksgiving dinner alone. Nobody's inviting him over. Nobody's buying him a present for Christmas. Not even a thing of coal, because if they bought that, they'd have to give him the taxes for it. Like, this dude, like, he has distanced himself from society because of the way he lives his life, the sin that he has. He's constantly always taking things that weren't meant for him, but a lot of times that's us as well. We're taking things into our life that were never meant for us. Things that God did not mean for us to have. We are taking these things into our life and those things are called sin. Because anything outside of God's will for our life is a sinful act. But a lot of times we base our days around maybe not stealing from somebody else. But we're taking something that was never meant for us. And we're putting it into our pockets. We're putting it into our lives. And that is what drives us. That is what we love. And we do not care if it's driving a wedge between us and other people. We don't care if it's driving a wedge between us and God. It is something that is building us up and makes us feel good, but only for a temporary time. Matthew is a dude who just takes things that do not belong to him. But we have the same kind of condition in our heart. If we want it, we got to have it, whether it was meant for us or not. And another cool thing about this, like, it doesn't say that Matthew showed any, any interest in Jesus whatsoever. Because it says he was in his tax booth. There's a crowd all around Jesus to watch what he's going to do next. That's probably asking him questions like, Jesus, what are you going to do next? Or something more creative than that. But they're watching him. They're interested in Jesus But Matthew's still over there being his same sinful self, still stealing money, and Jesus saw him. The beautiful thing about this story is Matthew shows no interest whatsoever in Jesus. He is still in his sin, and Jesus sees him and walks up to him. 
and engages in conversation with him, engages in relationship with him. And this is the beautiful thing about us. All of us are broken, unrighteous people. And whether you want to show Jesus any interest or not, he's the one that engages us in conversation. He is the one that engages us in relationship. Because I've heard it said many times, I don't know if God can fix me. I don't know if God can love me because of the things that I have done or the things that I'm doing. I can assure you there is nothing in your life that can out the glory and the grace of the cross. Jesus will meet you right where you are because that's what he's doing with Matthew. And then the, this dialogue takes, well, is Jesus talking and Matthew acting? It says this. It says, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. We have two things. We have the call and we have the response, which is huge. The call of Jesus is always simple. It is follow me. It is come to me. And in those two phrases, there's this thing called repentance. Because to come to Jesus or to follow after Jesus, you're going to have to turn away from something else. See, in our heads, what we've done as the American church we've really watered down these words of Jesus of come to me or follow after me because we've left off the whole repentance part. You can't have Jesus and your sin too. You can't have Jesus and those things that you've been taking that weren't meant for you as well. And see, the beautiful thing, Jesus will always approach us with the call. But then, I love the response because it says that Matthew rose and he followed him. See, even though Jesus, even though God is the one who approaches us in our sin and calls us out, he does not do our believing for us. And we can see Matthew's faith in action as he gets up and he starts following after Jesus. Jesus does everything on the cross. Jesus did everything in creation. He does everything in recreation when he makes you a new creature. But he does not believe on your behalf. If you believe, there will be proof in it through the faith of your actions. But the thing is, we are good with this part where it says Matthew rose. We're good with that. Like we've had some, counter, some encounter with Jesus somewhere. Whether it be at a summer camp. Whether it be at spring break camp. Whether it be like at E3. Or whether it be on a Wednesday night service or a Sunday service or somewhere. We've had some kind of encounter with Jesus. And we get all fired up because he said, hey, why don't you come after me? And we stand up and we start to move. And we are still standing in that same spot six months, six years, 15 years later. We've never moved. We've never, never actually followed after him. We just stood up and kind of thought about it. Because see, a beautiful thing about it, Matthew doesn't, Matt, this is the calling of Matthew, so he's probably not going to brag on himself. So he leaves out one super important detail because he's being humble, but Luke does not leave it out because in Luke chapter 5, verse 28, it says that he left everything and followed after Jesus. He left everything. Remember that stuff he kept taking that wasn't meant to be his? That stuff he kept taking that would make him wealthy? That stuff he kept taking because it made him feel important? That stuff he kept taking because it made him ha feel happy for a little while? That stuff he kept taking that made him a sinner? He had to decide in that moment, am I going to stay here with this or am I going to follow this man Jesus? And that is the same thing we have to do. He stood up and had to make the conscious decision, am I going to let all of this go? 
all I've ever known, my identity, who I am, am I going to let it go and follow after Jesus? Because standing is not enough. That ooey-gooey feeling that you've had at one point in time is not enough. Are you going to follow after Jesus or are you not? Just standing there is not going to accomplish anything. Just standing there is not going to change the world. Just standing there is not going to take the gospel to anybody. Just standing there is never going to be a part of life change. Just standing there is not going to get you to become who it is God made you to be. You're going to have to follow after him. But in order to follow after him, you're going to have to let go of some things. For Matthew, it was everything. What is it in your life that you need to let go of so that you can follow Jesus and become who it is you were made to be? Like, this thing you're holding on to, this sin, is it worth it? Is it worth not being a part of taking the gospel with you? Is it worth not being a part of life change? Is it worth not becoming who it is God made you to be? Like for Matthew, he makes the decision, this life is not worth it anymore. Because in Luke it says he let go of everything and he followed after Jesus. But what if he hadn't have? What if he just would have stood up? Looked at all the stuff that he had and then eventually just sat back down in a sin because he was comfortable with it. That's oftentimes a lot of us. We get all fired up for Jesus. We stand up, but we're not willing to let go of things. And we sit right back down into our sin and we're comfortable with it all over again two weeks later. But what all would, have Matthew, what all would Matthew have missed out on? Like, what would we have missed out on? We would have missed out on two years of teaching because we've been in the book of Matthew for two years, the dude who wrote it. If he just would have stood and not let these things go and follow after Jesus, we wouldn't have got the first eight chapters. And we haven't even got to all the stuff that's going to follow that. This dude legitimately, God used him to change the world, what has been my prayer for you guys for the past several years. But he could not have been a part of that change if he had not been willing to let go of everything and follow after Jesus. You guys are going to change the world, but not if you're unwilling to let go of some things and follow after Jesus. Which leads us to point number one. Do you have that, Mackenzie? Bethany, can you click it? After you take a stand, you've got to take a step. After you take a stand, you have to take a step in faith. And then after that first one, you've got to take a second one. After that, you take the second one, you've got to take the third one. After the third one, you've got to take the fourth one, the fourth one, the fifth one. But this is the thing. This is the reason you've got to let, let everything go. After a couple steps, that thing you've been holding on to is going to get really heavy. After you take a couple of steps, that thing's going to start getting in the way. After you take a couple of steps, that thing's going to make you a little bit extra tired. You can either hold, we've talked about this before, you can hold on to sin or you can hold on to Jesus. It's one of the two. You can't keep holding on to both of them. So what is the thing in your life that you need to let go of? And then carried on in verse 10. We've got to hurry. Got to hurry. It says this. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. The reason that's talking about reclining in this culture, in a big formal dining setting, what they would do is the table would be behind them and they would lean up against the table that they were eating at. That's just how they relaxed. Kind of weird because it's just different than what we do. But that's what they did. 
But when we read this, it seems like they left Matthew's tax booth. He let go of his old life. He started following after Jesus, went straight to his house, and he cooked him a meal. Because it's Matthew's house. He's the one who's cooking the meal. That detail's not in here because Matthew don't want to brag on himself. But we can look in the other Gospels and see that it's Matthew's house. Most scholars believe that there is a borderline significant amount of time that passes between Matthew being called and Matthew preparing this meal. Why is that important? It is because in this time, Matthew has been following Jesus and he has some, experienced some things that has changed him forever. The biggest thing, he has experienced the grace of Jesus and how God's grace changes somebody. He notices a change in himself, the way that he loves other people, the way that he loves this man that he's now following after, the way that he hates the life that he used to live. And the reason that he's throwing this party, he's throwing this dinner, is not just to feed Jesus, but it's to get his old friends that were tax collectors and sinners with him into the presence of Jesus because he knows that Jesus and his grace can change these people. He knows that Jesus and his grace can save these people the same way that it saved him. Like when you've genuinely experienced the saving grace of Jesus, you are always trying to find a way to get other people a seat at the table. Just so they can experience the grace of Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's why I encourage you to share the gospel. If God's grace has changed you, why would you not want to share that with somebody else? I was listening to this interview that an atheist said one time. He says, I believe nothing that you believe as Christians. But if you genuinely believe it and will not share that gospel with somebody else, how much must you hate that person? If you genuinely believe in the saving grace of Jesus, if you believe in the gospel but refuse to share it, how much must you hate people to not tell them about the God of the universe that loves them so much he stepped down out of perfection, took their place, paid their penalty on the cross, and rose again so that they could have life everlasting? How much must you hate somebody to not tell them about the story about Jesus? That's what Matthew's doing. He's genuinely experienced grace. And my gosh, if I have to throw a huge party so all these morons will come here and they can hang out with Jesus and be changed by his grace, then that's what I'm going to do. Remember last week we talked about doing whatever it takes. This is Matthew doing whatever it takes. How often have you shared the gospel the past two weeks or had a gospel-centered conversation? That's for you guys. That's for me. That's for the adults in the back. Even for the people not paying attention right now. Like how much time have you spent trying to engage somebody in a story about Jesus. Hoping that they will hear his voice and his grace will change their life or save them. We got to verses 11 and 12. We're going to be quick through those. 11 and 12 says this. It says, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples. Back to where we are from earlier. These people have a problem with Jesus. Instead of approaching Jesus with the problem, they go to his disciples. We're going to cover this in two different things. The first thing, God can handle your hard and big questions. If there's things going on in your life and you don't like the way God's doing them thing, doing things, maybe you should talk to him about it. I'd love to talk to you about it, but I'm not God. I can't answer those questions for you. But if you're upset with how God's doing things, he can handle that conversation with you. You're not going to offend him. Don't go to YouTube and Google and ask, why is God doing this in my life? 
Or why does God let bad things happen to good people? You should go ask God that, get in his word, get in prayer, and find out why those kind of things happen. The other thing is, relationally, if you have a problem with someone, you don't have to go to talk to somebody else about that problem. You can go talk to them. Because oftentimes when you're going to talk to somebody else about that problem, you're not looking for wise counsel. You're just wanting to talk about that person. If you have an issue with someone, extend, uh, ex- afford them to have a loving conversation about what you don't agree with them about. Don't stab knives in their back when they're not around, whether you like them or not. Because that's just not the way that Christians should do things. That's neither here nor there. But then, they, they, they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because what, th- th- you just don't do this. Because you would be guilty by association. But Jesus came to flip the script. And he's like, look, I know this is how you guys operate. It's not necessarily how I operate. I am God. Just want to let you know that. Pretty much do what I want to. And then it says, it says this, I love it. And I can feel the sarcasm. And not only do I respect it, I support it. I feel like sarcasm could be a spiritual gift that we just, li- we just leave out. Jesus says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, it's like he kind of leaves it open-ended. Basically, he's, like, he's saying, I don't really, I know that you think that you don't need me because you got your life together. But I came for the broken people. I came for the sick people. I came for the people who know that they're a sinner and who you probably tell them that they're sinners all the time. I came for them. Since you don't need me, I won't be here for you. But there's going to come a moment where I'm going to break you down too. Like this is the beautiful thing of the gospel. God came for the messed up and the broken people. I'm going to tell you why that's really good news in a minute. But the sad thing about this is is there's people who come in this room every week that think that we don't need Jesus. And some of you would say, that is stupid. I just... I just pull that conclusion by the way that you live your life. Some of us legitimately live like we don't need Jesus, which is sometimes evidence that he's not there. But we got to carry on. Can't get held up there. Verse 13, where we're going to end tonight. It says, go and learn what this means, our desire, mercy and not a sacrifice. Circle this, because we're going to go over that next week. That is for next week's lesson, the sending out. But it's a throwback to Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, if you want to look it up. Um, But that's not what we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about the next thing he says. Jesus says this about himself. I suppose he knows himself better than anybody else. But this is what he says. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I don't know if you know what that means. But that means that Jesus came to save sinners. That means that Jesus came to redeem the broken. That means Jesus came to heal the sick. The sickness that we're talking about is sin. Sin is a sickness, and if you do not do something about it, eventually it is going to kill you. And Jesus is not only the only one with the cure, he is the cure. Matthew 1.21 says that you will name him Jesus because he came to save his people from their sins. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this. Do we have that back there? I have it right here if you don't. Oh my goodness, I can't look up there. It says this. This saying is trustworthy and, des- this saying is trustworthy and deserving. This is Paul who seems to have a little bit of sense. 
and of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is the greatest news that Jesus came to save sinners. I don't know if you know this or not. That would be you and that would be me. Because all of you are messed up. I too am messed up. All the adults in the back are messed up. PR is here somewhere. He is messed up. All the adults that are meeting across campus, they are messed up. They are so messed up. They are filled with sin and outside of Jesus and his interceding grace will spend eternity as separated from God in a place called hell. Where there will be no TVs, there will be no pleasantry, no matter what TV may depict it to be, it will be an awful place of complete hopelessness, complete depression all the time. All of us are sinners. Whether you want to admit it or not, all of us are messed up. There's this thing called sin, and we love it. However, the bad thing about it, we love something that is going to kill us. And if we are not willing to let those things go and follow after Jesus, we have serious problems. No, I'm not saying that if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, that you're not going to have struggles and that you're not going to mess up. That's not what I'm saying at all. That's the whole point of God's grace. Jesus was perfect for us. But you're not going to hold on to it all the time and let it run your life. Jonathan Edwards says this, and it's a beautiful thing. He says, I am bold to say that the work of God in the conversion of one soul is more glorious work than God when he created the whole material world. I'll read it once more. I am bold to say that the work of God in the conversion of one soul is a more glorious work of God than the creation of the whole material world. What he's saying is when God saves one person, it is more glorious than when he created everything. Because he's bringing a dead heart, someone who just loves sin and making them into something completely different. And some of you have experienced this. You've had a salvation experience where you felt God lay his heavy hand on you and you feel your sin and it is nauseating. You feel sick and it is absolutely miserable. You don't want to eat. You don't want to sleep. You don't want to even be around yourself because you hate yourself because you know that you're a sinner. But then in the middle of that, you hear just this wonderful voice say, Hey, follow me. You come to me. I will take care of your sin. I will make all things new in your life. But you're, if you let go of these things and follow after me, I can use you to change the world. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. I believe that moment's going to come for you and it's going to be awesome and I'll do a really cool dance when it happens. But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there. You stopped playing the church game and this all became real because Jesus came and met you in your sin and he spoke into your life and said, come after me. And you said, okay. For some reason, I'm letting go of all I've ever known. I'm going to follow after this dude named Jesus. And see, everybody's just, every heart in here and all across the world is just one moment away from moving to death to life. One moment away from hearing from Jesus stepping into their mess and saying, hey, come after me. If you're wondering, does Jesus want to save me? All you got to do is look at the cross. If you're wondering, can Jesus save me? All you got to do is 
Look at the cross. Like in a crowd, Jesus saw Matthew and there was nothing that was going to stop him from getting to him. There was not the crowd. There was not Matthew's job. There was not Matthew's reputation. There was not Matthew's sin. It was not Matthew's disinterest. There was nothing that was going to stop Jesus from getting to Matthew. In the same way that there is absolutely nothing that is going to stop Bear from getting to a ball ball. Far, far, far exceeding that. Jesus' desire for you is far greater and far more powerful than any other thing in all of existence. And he will not be stopped. He will not be stopped. Jesus longs for you. Like that is a beautiful thing. The king of kings, the God of the universe, desires and longs for you. Like, that is, like that's the coolest thing in the absolute world. That's cooler than being a billionaire, popular, successful, tall, short. Like God longs to, to be in a relationship with you. He longs and desires for your heart. And in the same way that God sees Matthew, he sees you. Whether you're interested or not. When he was riding in Jerusalem, he saw you. When he was standing trial, he could see you. When he was being beaten, he saw you. When he was carrying the cross, he saw you. When he was hanging on the cross, he saw you. When he goes to take his last breath, he saw you. But when he walked out of the grave, he saw you. So what makes you think he cannot see you now? You have no sin that he can't see through. Even if it is a sin of disinterest, he can see you through that. And the day is going to come, if it has not already, when he's going to walk up to you in the middle of your sin and he's going to say, follow me, and that's going to be the greatest day of your life. Which leads us to point number three. Jesus has never taken his eye off of you. Ever. For some of you, that makes your heart beat really fast. Some of you are quite confused, but I assure you one day it will make your heart beat pretty fast too. His love for you has never, has never faltered. It's never faded. You feel like you're not that important. You were important enough that Jesus and his love stepped out of heaven and took the cross so that you could have eternal life. So what I'm going to leave you with before we pray and you go into groups is... One, are, we, are you willing to stand and let go of those things that seem like they are everything to you and take a step of faith and follow after Jesus? Whether that be into salvation or, or be into becoming who it is God made you to be. Are you willing to take those steps of faith and follow after him? What are some things you need to let go of that are holding you back, that are slowing you down? Now, if you need to talk to somebody about Jesus, I will be sitting up here or you can grab one of these adults and we will talk about Jesus until the morning comes. We'll make some coffee and talk about him some more. Or you can talk about it in your breakout groups when you get there in a minute. But if you need to talk, man, we can sit and we can talk and we can pray. 
But some of you need to let go of some things. And some of you finally need to take a step of faith. God, thank you for how you love us. God, thank you for the work of Jesus on the cross. God, thank you that you've never taken your eyes off of us, no matter our circumstance, no matter our sin or our disbelief. God, thank you that you meet us in our sin. And God, that you call us out. We don't have to become, try to become perfect or try to become a better person first. You meet us in our brokenness and you draw us out of that. God, I pray that you will allow some of these students to see the things that they need to let go of, God. And they will, they will take hold of you and let go of those things. God, for the student who's struggling through salvation and what that is. God, I pray that you will speak into their hearts what they need to do. God, and they will surrender their lives to you. God, please use these students to change the world. Use these students to bring revival. But God, let them choose holiness so that they can become who it is you made them to be. God, bless these times and breakout groups. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.